playlist with Ben and Fiona. If you saw the hashtag, release the Snyder Cut. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Welcome to the playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my co-host, SBS and SBS Vice Internal Manager, Ben Yuen. Hey, Ben. Hi, Fee. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. That's good. I'm sure uh, you've been, like me, binging a lot of content over the last couple of weeks. So much stuff, yes. So much stuff that today we decided to devote the whole episode to an extra long What Have You Been Watching as we share our reactions to the four-hour-long Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Academy Award-nominated Romanian documentary Collective, the new season of investigative documentary series Exposed, The Ghost Train Fire, and we await the launch of the brand new season of Line of Duty. And plus, we'll have a preview of a hot new SBS On Demand movie collection straight out of Hong Kong. Like I said, so much stuff. <laughs> I know. Let's get into it. Where do we start? Well, V, I guess sort of the headline launch over the last couple of weeks has been finally um, all those Zack Snyder fans who have been waiting for his cut of Justice League to be released, they got their wish. Mm-hmm. If you saw the hashtag, release the Snyder Cut. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and and you sat down for all four hours, two minutes of it. Yeah. Um, I have to admit, so I um, watched the original, I mean, credited to Zack Snyder, but it was, um, uh, you know, after in quite tragic circumstances, he had to leave the production. The film was finished by Joss Whedon. Um, he and, took the scissors yeah, <laughs> to what had been produced. Yeah, and, and it's an interesting one because, I mean, the, the film definitely was bad. Um, I uh, I saw it on a plane and just thought it was going to be, you know, just a fun little couple of hours of escapism, but it didn't look good. The special effects were dodgy. There was <laughs> sort of notably because um, Joss Whedon had brought in all the actors for reshoots in order to give it sort of a, a lighter, more Avenger-like tone. And Henry Cavill as um, as Superman was still full mustachioed from his role in Mission Impossible and his they CGI'd out the moustache, and uh, his upper lip is doing all sorts of strange things during that film. You know, I think probably in some ways that was the highlight of the film. <laughs> at least we had the lip to look at. <laughs> but Zack Snyder's come back. He's, uh, he's reshot some material that he originally intended. He's, he's shot some, some material that was never really <laughs> intended, but, but in order to kind of flesh out his full vision. Um, well, first of all, you know, where do you sit on the, the Zack Snyder, you know, kind of spectrum? Um, <laughs> and, you know, like I think for whatever you think of him, he certainly has a, a kind of strong visual aesthetic yes. that he does work through all his films, which have included um, things like the adaptation of, of Watchmen, that film set in an asylum. What's that one called with the the women who have... Now I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, same. Maybe we'll, I don't know what you're talking about. Which? Oh, God, not that one. Oh, my God. That, that yeah, one. Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> God, what was that called? I had an argument with my husband about it. Um, <laughs> he liked it. I did not. Sucker punch. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. That yeah. one. So, so you know, people who have seen those movies, they know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I've just answered your question. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> So I'm going with not a huge lover of Zack Snyder's back catalogue. Uh, I 
Yeah, I did not care for Slucker Punch. Um, <laughs> I forgot he made it. I, I blocked that I watched it, but then it came back like a Slucker Punch, <laughs> let's say. Um, boom tish. No, look, he doesn't leave anything on the floor. I can really tap out when it just gets too much. And his Justice League, the original idea for Justice League was coming off the back of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Justice. Yeah. Yep. Um, where we first got our glimpse of Wonder Woman, et cetera. But also that film was the whole plot hinged around they made up because their mums had the first same name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's I, how, yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, you know, that plot point was <laughs> was cringe-inducing. But I went into both those first two movies, Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, with very low expectations. Mm. And you know what? I had a fine time with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have some anticipation around actually seeing this Snyder Cut of Justice League. But should I put myself through it? That's oh, well, my big question. <laughs> that's the thing. And, you know, popcorn movies, I saw both of those films in the cinemas and a collective groan around the mum's <laughs> first name is quite a time. That's fun. Well, um, not many people are called Martha, all right? <laughs> it's true. And you've got to make friends <laughs> with the ones whose yeah, mums yeah. were called that. You've got that. to find what you've got in common. Exactly. Um, it's, you know, message for our time. But <laughs> absolutely you should watch it if you've got four hours and two minutes to kill. If you're on board for that, also, because of the backstory of how this film got made, I don't care for this toxic fandom where you bully people to make the movie you want them to make. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens to have improved Justice League in this instance, mm. but can we not make that a habit? <laughs> you say that now, but when there's something that you really want to see happen, <laughs> I, I'll hold you to it. Uh, sure. Yeah, release <laughs> the big business cut, <laughs> the four-hour version of um, that. But anyway, um, <laughs> like you say, Zack Snyder did have to leave the film for very tragic reasons. Um, also at the time he was receiving copious studio notes, they were wanting him to lighten up the film because mm. Batman versus Superman did end with killing off Superman and, you know, mm. that's a bit of a Debbie a Downer. downer. Yeah. yeah. So the studio wanted a bit of bit of chuckles in the next one yeah. that Joss Whedon tried to provide. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, in that context, we've obviously got this cinematic clash between DC owned by Warner Brothers and Marvel owned by Disney and Joss Whedon, I think we've learnt a lot about the way that he operates behind the scenes and none of it good um, in recent times, including on Justice League. Yeah. But um, I think he was credited with directing that first Avengers movie and making it into a hit with sort of the jokes and the one-liners and and the character moments. And and Marvel have talked about how they deliberately bring in directors from television because they're not looking for someone who's going to implant their entire directorial vision. They want someone who can create, collaborate and create a moment with a bunch of actors in a room, which is kind of more the mentality of television. And Mm. it's worked well for Marvel. So... In some ways, you can sort of see Warner Brothers' interest in trying to recreate that over at DC. And I guess lightness of touch, a lack of directorial vision, that's not what Zack Snyder does for a living. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, his fingerprints very much on his films for the in the best and worst ways, shall we yeah, say. Yeah, very heavy <laughs> fingerprints. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, he's really put, put those marks in there. Yeah, um, indelible. And um, so... 
he got his chance. <laughs> the hashtag worked. And look, it's no small thing that he got to go back and make the film he wanted to make, which he had to leave in very tragic circumstances. He devotes his film to his late daughter. Mm. That That is no small thing and no. that is great for him. And yeah. I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. It. Um, so how is the film? Um, it is better, <laughs> uh, but it also is way, way longer. As we've mentioned, it's four hours, two minutes. It's a good 90 minutes in and they're still setting up the characters. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a lot of slow motion. <laughs> um, and I did quit, like, you could lean on the fast forward for a lot of this because yeah, it's yeah. you could just make it real time. But one thing that was an issue in the Joss Whedon version is this character Cyborg mm. um, who wasn't in any previous film but is part of the Justice League yeah. and got super short shrift in the old version of Justice League. Yeah. It was kind of a pointless inclusion, didn't really know what this guy's story was, very light touch. Yeah. His whole backstory gets restored in this version for the better. Mm. <laughs> like he's a key part of the, the league now. And Ray Fisher has his own stories about Joss Whedon, so that may point to some of um, how he got cut out. So I do encourage you to go read Ray Fisher's um Accounts. Of, Accounts, yeah. exactly. And all of these films, especially Zack Snyder films, do have this buy into the superhero arc of parents and children and the legacy, et cetera, which takes on a resonance here for his reasons. Yeah, um, but for the cyborg storyline, that comes in as well. You know, in a really interesting and quite um, empathetic way. So it backfills a lot of the stories where the first film really heroed Batman and Wonder Woman. So everyone sort of gets a far more, far more, with, <laughs> with way more slow motion, um, fully fleshed out storylines because it's got four hours to do that. And I don't mind long films. Like I love, I'm on record with Nuri Bilgeslan's Turkish films that are at mm. least three hours, but I don't feel it. And um, this is four hours, two minutes, and it feels, well, it feels every one of those yeah, minutes, maybe yeah. a few more for me. But it's a more complete story and you do get more of a sense of where Zack Snyder was going with this, including an epilogue <laughs> that he's tacked on with Joker and Batman that will go nowhere now that he's not making yeah. more films. But it's a curious little tack on at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I suppose in some ways this is a very expensive curiosity <laughs> and uh, I suppose it's the whole purpose behind this in some ways is to indulge oh, yeah. um, one man and and his fan base and so you know i suppose in that regard it's successful absolutely settle in <laughs> this is what you wanted and they've given you that and then some yeah look a lot of people are very happy with it i think you know it's i'm <laughs> i'm really killing it with faint praise here like it's uh -huh. better but it's also a bit of a slog <laughs> And Zack Snyder's Justice League is available to watch on Binge or on Foxtel. Well, let's let's change pace uh, to something quite different. Um, the documentary Collective. Ooh, yes. It's nominated for an Oscar two times over. Um, it's a documentary, so it's in the feature documentary category, but it is also from Romania, so it is up for Best International Feature as well, yeah. which was also the case for um, Honeyland last year, um, mm. crossed categories as well. Um, so I love that they're doing that. I love that international films are being recognised outside of just that category. Yeah. Because this is extraordinary. Um, it's called Collective and it's from an investigative um, documentary maker, Alexander Nanau, and it's 
shocking. Um, it's called Collective, which is one of those titles that plays on a lot of levels. Um, mm. But there was a club called Collective that had a fire when people were there for a gig and shocking, horrific, so many casualties. And the number of casualties overloaded the health system. But then it continued to beyond the time it should have. <laughs> so people yeah. kept dying and not just from their injuries from this fire. And um, so it it was weird and devastating, um, but it took some digging by a team of dogged journalists mm. um, who work for a sports gazette <laughs> um, <laughs> to expose this shocking corruption and graft. And I can't, like, I won't even do it justice if I try and touch on what is at the root of this film. Mm. But it just keeps peeling away the layers and it's just more and more rot in healthcare system. And it's it's about the pursuit of journalists to get to the bottom of this story because it was a scandal um, and it toppled a health minister. And we also follow the new health minister who's installed, who is a reformer. He's got a history as a patient advocate. So he's trying to fix the system. But in digging a little deeper, he just finds more more and more problems. So how do, how can a reformer reform when he doesn't know the full extent of what the problem is? So sounds horrendously depressing and it is and it's very upsetting, but it's inspiring as well because you see it's a tribute to journalists and good politicians, you know, people who are there for a purpose and try and try and get to the bottom of it. But there's backlash, of course there is, because there's a lot of people with vested interests here. And also what what elevates it as well is there's a story of a woman who was a victim of the fire um, and she's an artist and her story is weaved in amongst this and she's her recovery and resilience is alluded to. We don't actually speak to her but we see her and we see a portrait of her in this politician's office. So, like, she's kind of this beacon of hope throughout the film that... Um, yeah, it's incredible. I watched it and my jaw dropped. It's beautiful and devastating. <laughs> a lot of, you know, tears and upset. But, um, yeah, thoroughly encourage you to watch it. It's coming out. It's got a season in Sydney at the Dendy Newtown from the 8th of April. And it's also screening for regional New South Wales audiences at least. Sorry for <laughs> other um, states. <laughs> I don't know the, where it's going. But uh, in New South Wales it's screening at the Screenwave International Film Festival in April. Um, which I'm going to, which is in Coffs Harbour um, on the northern coast of New South Wales. Um, so there are two places I know you can see it. Mm. And, I, yeah, if, if you see it's on near you, do see it. It's it's quite a revelation. Make a beeline. That yeah. sounds uh, fascinating and so relevant when, you know, clearly health systems around the world are under the microscope mm. given that we're in a global pandemic. Yep. And, you know, the question of corruption is yep. ever-present amid calls within Australia for a federal ICAC amongst other mm-hmm. other stories around the world. So it sounds uh, sounds incredible and a good contender to take away those Oscars. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen all the documentary nominees yet. We we have spoken about Crip Camp. That's up mm, as well, yeah, which yeah. I loved as well. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. They're all good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, The Mole Agent as well. I'm seeing that actually at Screenwave as well. They tend to get a lot of the good... Um, Oscar nominated doc. So that one looks great. Haven't seen it yet, but hope to speak of that. It's about an undercover spy in a nursing home in Chile. So I'll talk about that when I've seen it. 
Well, it's interesting that you mention a deadly fire and evidence of corruption because that actually leads me to what I've just been watching, which is just playing out now on ABC in Australia, the documentary Exposed the Ghost Train Fires. It's been a night of tragedy here at Park. The fire started in the ghost train. Four schoolmates were among the seven who perished. They were right in front of me. And everything you've loved is gone. I saw the police cars and I thought, oh, my God. Everybody said it was an accident. It's taken me 40 years to finally tell my story. I was one of the first detectives on the scene. I've never spoken publicly. The fire was a result of an electrical fault. If the fuse box was the cause, how is it one of the only things still standing? What do you think caused this fire? Arson. It's arson. Arson, yeah. The cover-up was monumental. There is somebody that got away with murder. It's time for the truth. People might be familiar with the first season, which was looking into the mystery around Kelly Lane and her daughter, Um, and that was received very well. They dug up sort of a lot of new information around that case, you know, with the help of citizen um, detectives or, you know, amateur sleuths or sort of however you want to label them, which is something that I am really fascinated in the way that true crime is digging into these true crime programs. But this new season looks at a deadly accident, or was it, that occurred in 1979 at Luna Park, the theme park in Sydney that's right on the the foreshore of the harbour looking over onto the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. And that theme park itself has a fascinating history, Mm. um, having been transplanted from Glenelg in South Australia in the 1930s and then um, having a whole sort of torrid history through the the war years um, with a lot of servicemen using it as as a place for rest and relaxation and other activities. But ultimately... That leads us to this story of sort of a number of survivors of this fire, this horrible fire that took place on the gross train ride. And um, we hear from one man who at the time he was a a child, um, a teenager, travelling with his friends for the first time. They were travelling from the eastern suburbs of Sydney on their own without their parents to to, to go hang out at this, this park. We also hear the story of a woman who she lost her husband and her two young sons in the fire. So there were seven deaths altogether. It always was described as being a an accident caused by an electrical fault. And certainly, you know, it wasn't helped by the fact that there wasn't the kind of safety steps in place that we would expect now, even just things like um, emergency exits, yeah. for example. So so it it literally became a death trap for the people who were on the right at the time. But it sort of has had ongoing an- unanswered questions and the artist Martin Sharp, who had become quite involved in the 70s with Luna Park, with kind of giving a, a sort of a, a pop art new look to the park, this event became his obsession and he has been, you know, sort of he's now passed away but until his death he was collecting newspaper clippings and recordings that he made with people who had been witnesses to the event and in the first episode we go into his home and and it's, you know, literally one of those 
almost conspiracy theory rooms that is just filled to the brims with all this paraphernalia to do with Luna Park and mm. those that specific event. The only thing it's missing is the red string <laughs> to connect the dots. But, you know, through that, that it allows the filmmaker and the, the lead reporter, Caro Meldrum-Hanna, to begin to piece bits of the puzzle together, things that, that were overlooked at the time and allegedly covered up. And we start to, to get a picture of what could have been a deliberately lit fire with its own nefarious purposes. Mm. Um, and I think sort of the thing that I really wanted to say about this program is just how beautifully made it is. I think that in some ways, you know, we have to give credit to the Netflixes of the world that have elevated true crime and given this genre big budgets because the way that the archive not only is treated, not only the the specific um, news footage from the, the fire itself, but just so many little period glimpses that of, you know, sort of kids' birthday parties or someone um, sort of mowing a lawn in, in the late 1970s and, mm-hmm. and it's just a window into that that era and that's so beautifully done and the way that the still photos are kind of recreated as part of people's photo albums is so beautifully done. There's little techniques used like um, going from an image, an archive image into the the building today to kind of connect the dots between um, the past and the present. And then the other thing that makes this so extraordinary is is from everyone from the ticket collector through to um, people who were on the ride just before the accident occurred and family members of those who who perished, they're all interviewed, they all tell their stories and they all have such vivid memories of that period of their lives that has stuck with them because of the the trauma that they experienced. Mm. And so it's a difficult watch because it's, it's quite difficult for them to recount that story but it is a very, very vivid experience reliving that those moments, those fateful moments with all of those survivors um, and the, the loved ones of those who passed away. So, yeah, I would, I would strongly recommend this. I, I thought it was fantastic. So the first two episodes of Exposed are out now on ABC iView and the third episode will be released this week. Okay, I will have to see that. So what else have you been watching? Well, the the show that I'm highly anticipating, it launches in Australia on the 1st of April, but it's uh, the first episode's already gone out in the UK to record numbers, um, over 9 million viewers, is Line of Duty, the police drama. And so this, uh, I've been catching up with um, the past seasons just in readiness of the new season launching. This is written by Jed Mercurio, who had a big hit recently with Bodyguard, the British drama which went out on Netflix internationally and the BBC in the UK. But he has a background. He um, worked as a doctor and the first drama that he ever wrote was a series set in a hospital called Bodies, Um, a very dark look at the hospital system in the UK. I feel like often... The darkness in an American story comes through a particular individual, and it's and it's sort of the anti-hero, or, or we sort of see 
Um, if the system's the problem, we see a story of someone who's railing against the system mm -hmm. and and trying to change it. Um, sometimes I think the Brits just really enjoy just sitting in <laughs> how dysfunctional yeah. <laughs> and, and with no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and that was certainly true of, of Bodies, which was a, a an exploration of just all the problems within the health system. So echoes of... Oh, jeez, it's uh, a real theme. ...of collective, as we were talking about before. But, but Line of Duty is about the police. It is about police corruption. So at the centre of Line of Duty is one unit, AC12, um, an anti-corruption unit, and the investigations that they carry out in order to um, bag bent coppers. And, you know, I think sort of what rapidly becomes a big pleasure of the series is the, the lead characters involved who recur season after season and, and you do really get to love and adore them. But the other big pleasure of the show is that we usually get one new character actor per season and... There's been uh, people like Tandy Newton before and Keely Hawes. And in the, the most recent season, um, Stephen Graham, um, you know, really terrific British character actors mm. who, you know, often have, you know, some um, unselfish motives or, or they're, they're being blackmailed for various reasons. But, but you know, it's the cat and mouse um, exercise that, that's really enjoyable and um, and one thing that I really love about this show is the interview scenes themselves, in interrogation scenes, and I think there's not an interrogation scene that goes by in this series where there there isn't some sort of turning of the tables of the power in the room. Mm. Um, so you sort of whether it's that. Uh, the suspect is aloof and has a complete disregard for what the detectives have on him or her and, and you know, that power flips or the uh, detectives feel as though um, they've nailed this person and then sort of slowly they, their case begins to unravel before their eyes. Um, I think that writing is really incredible. I think the series has gotten a little bogged down over time with all the recurring storylines, which sort of have meant that it becomes less about the singular case that they're going after and more about sort of the backstory and the kind of um, who who is a suspect within the force itself and how far up does this, does this chain go. Mm -hmm. um, but all that said, I think that there'll be lots of twists and turns and reveals in this new season. So um, that's one that I'm eagerly awaiting, which is going to launch here on BritBox. But you can find the the previous seasons all over the place on ABC and Netflix and, and other services as well. Yeah, great. Sounds good. There is a bit of a theme in this episode <laughs> that we did not anticipate. We did not. <laughs> Um, but it does bring us to um, our final item, which, you know, we always do like talking up some of the treasures that are available free on SBS On Demand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we might even get a little hint of police corruption <laughs> itself in, in some of these titles. Um, Fee, there is a collection focusing on the cinema of Hong Kong, and what what's getting you excited there? What what have you got to recommend? Yeah, well, actually, to continue this episode's um, unintended theme, um, Infernal Affairs, that incredible trilogy <laughs> um, of films uh, about corruption, 
the uh, you know a little hunter has become a hunted situation yeah. going on um but also about identity you know undercover moles in both the police and in um mafia it you know they're they're two moles on either side yeah. rising through the ranks across years there's prequel sequel yeah. um you know it's the definitive trilogy remade for Oscar nominee, Oscar winner, dare I say, um, mm. The Departed. Yeah. So if you're familiar with that, go back and watch Infernal Affairs, please. Go re-watch them if you've seen them. Yeah. Um, I would be shocked if Infernal Affairs is not actually a big influence on Line of Duty as well. So oh, I, think yeah. that, I think that there's many links there. Yeah, I think much copied in, in many ways, um, uh, no doubt, yeah. And with fantastic performances by Tony Lung and Andy Lau as both moles planted in the police and in the mafia and struggling with, like they're living a lie, <laughs> <laughs> um, reporting back to their higher-ups, but, you know, it, it's just fascinating um, the machinations that work in these. So we've got all three at uh, SBS On Demand you can dive right into. Yeah, it goes well beyond kind of good versus evil, which side are you on kind of thing. It really gets into questions about identity and I love them. Yeah, it's great stuff. And the Wong Kar Wai films, there's, there's two there. There is two. And before anyone asks, no, we don't have In the Mood for Love. Because <laughs> that was my first question as well. Oh, we have In the Mood yeah. for Love. Yeah. No, but um, don't at me. Um, <laughs> but you can see these are his first films. We've got As Tears Go By and uh, Days of Being Wild, and which were before In the Mood for Love. Um, but you can see uh, the style start to emerge. He's this beautiful, um, just his definitive style, the languid um, living in the mood of a scene. Mm. It's not so much what's said, it's what not what's not said, just the stylistic flourishes that are so such a part of his um, his filmmaking that I love. And just on In the Mood for Love, it's one of my all-time favourites, why I keep bringing it up. But <laughs> <laughs> I did have the chance to watch that about a month ago when Sydney Film Festival uh, had their summer season. Yeah, just keeps getting better every time I watch it, but I shouldn't talk it up because we don't have it on that collection. <laughs> but. We, we love we love all uh, cinema and, and television, no matter where you find it. It's but, true. But um, Wong Kar Wai is a director that if he was, for whatever reason, removed from production um, and wasn't able to put his definitive stamp, I would be campa- campaigning to release <laughs> his cut. Yes, good point. <laughs> yeah, give me four hours if I'm in the middle of but yeah, that whole the mood and the, the sensuality that and sadness that's in all of his films there, fantastic. And in these two, they're his you know first features. And Maggie Chung has been there the whole way through. Like she's in she's in these, and she's of course in in the mood for love. But then to finish off the Hong Kong cinema collection, um, this featured collection anyway. There are other films you can watch, but there's a Bruce Lee collection mm. with um, some of his biggies. Uh, you know, in the in the early seventies, where he returned to Hong Kong after yeah. a decade in the US, and this is where the legend was born. Totally. Um, you know, we've got the Big Boss, um, which you know he promises his mum he won't <laughs> he won't <laughs> use those fists of fury, but quite uh, spectacularly breaks his pledge to his mama. Um, so we've got the Big Boss, we've got Fist of Fury, the Way of the Dragon, which the one with Chuck Norris in the Coliseum, yeah. the definitive showdown. 
Yeah, these are so iconic and, and sort of for a while were hard to find. Um, yes. So it's good to be able to make them available to people. And um, we did recently have a documentary about Bruce Lee on SBS called Be Water, which told his story very interestingly through his experience of racism in the US. But, you know, it's, it was just another reminder to go out and see the, the films that have obviously been so influential Absolutely. Then speaking to his legacy, the one made posthumously and cobbled together through shot footage and archive and stunt doubles, mm. Game of Death, we've got that too. And that's, of course, the jumpsuit. It's um, iconic. The Kill Bill jumpsuit. The Kill Bill. Um, the Taskmaster jumpsuit, if you've seen the Phil oh, Wang yeah. series uh, coming up on SBS Viceland, I believe. Soon. Yes. Well, uh, listeners won't know, but I'm actually wearing that jumpsuit right now. <laughs> it's why I brought it up, quite frankly. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you're sitting down. It. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's so much to watch. There so, is a lot, so and it there's... goes more than four hours, and it's worth every minute. Yeah, yeah, and all available right now on SBS On Demand. And I think that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us a lot of stars. Leave a nice review because it helps people to find the show. And you can let us know what you thought of the movies and TV shows we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. And I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. And the playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot, appearing today on a tiny little phone screen. Hey, Jez. Hello. <laughs> Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.